The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Welcome to another program with Truths to Live By, a ministry of Harriman Baptist Tabernacle in Harriman, Tennessee. You're listening to Brother Benjamin Cooley. I pray we would be a blessing to you today. With our Bibles open to Psalm number 2 today, we'll begin our reading with verse 4 after a word of prayer together. Father, it is in Jesus' powerful name that we come, looking to you for guidance and for grace this day, that we may instruct the saints in the word of the Lord. Please give freedom and please give power to our preaching. May your words find their mark in the hearts of men, women, and children alike, and bring forth fruit unto the glory of God. In Jesus' name, and for Christ's sake I pray, amen and amen. We're beginning with verse 4 and looking today at the Psalms' prophetic insight concerning a view of the Lord. Psalm 2, verse number 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. These verses give us the position of the sovereign. Now in verses 7, 8, and 9, we see the position of the Son, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Recall from our last study together a view of the world. The world of men sat down together, having stood up one by one, side by side, and they formed a coalition because of their contempt 
and they called a council. They issued a confession, and all of this was nothing more than their own puny attempts at war against the Lord and against his anointed, and their controversy in the sight of God was nothing more than a commotion. And so man rejected God's counsel. So now we continue with the Lord's view from heaven. But now it is really us looking toward heaven. God was looking toward earth in verses 1, 2, and 3. But here is the view of the Lord from the earth. It reveals how puny man really is and how powerless man really is and how futile and foolish it is to think that man could overthrow God or overturn his throne. Yes, everything is different from heaven's point of view. God's perspective leaves nothing unchanged. So we see the position of the sovereign. The Lord is positioned far above all others. Look to Isaiah 45, verses 22 and 23, and Isaiah 57, 15, where there the Lord is said to be the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. And beside him there is none else. For he, the Lord, he is God. Yes, beside him there are no others. His position is one of being seated and undisturbed upon his throne. In verse 4, it is said that he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. This speaks of God's pleasure and how it is not disturbed. It is the laugh of sovereignty. It is described in Psalm 37. Verses 7 through 13. Consider in contrast the laugh of humanity. Men are seeking to laugh away their sorrows, to laugh away their struggles, their situations, and even their sins. You, you think about the world this evening. I'm not sure when this broadcast plays where you are listening, but you think about the evening of man. He comes home from work. He sits down on his couch. He flips on the television. And he begins to drink down and consume the filthiness and the foolishness that Hollywood has to offer. And he begins to laugh in an effort to drown his sorrows, to forget his struggles, to change his situations, and yes, even to see his sins forgotten until tomorrow. Man never has. Man never will laugh away his problems. God's laugh indicates his control of the situation. Here is omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence laughing. God heard their counsel in verses 1, 2, and 3. God knew their thoughts. He saw their mounting rebellion. He knows their folly. And God begins to laugh. Yes, God waits to act. He withholds his judgment, and he will allow their hand to do whatsoever his hand has already determined before to be done. See Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 23. Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 28. God sits undisturbed upon his throne in a calm dignity. 
and he laughs, for he knows the end in the beginning. But then the verse continues, the Lord shall have them in derision. Not only God's pleasure, but God's power will not be disturbed. He is seated with pleasure, but he is acting in power, and his authority and might will not be thwarted even in the slightest. God, if you will, mocks the mockers. He overrules those who think they can rule over him or rule their life without him. God's purpose will progress according to schedule. Those who deride the Lord will find themselves in derision, scattered here and there, with their counsel defeated, with their purposes destroyed. I believe a good illustration here is that of an anthill. Go out backside the house tonight and find you an anthill and poke that hill with a stick and find those ants mad, angry, out to destroy, declaring war against this one invading their colony, invading their council, invading their coalition. And all the while, in a furious rebellion, they attack the stick, but they're powerless to stop the one who rules over them. The Lord shall have them in derision. Verse 5 shows us that God's passion will not be disturbed. We see the Lord speaking in passion here as he burns in his face and in his heart with holy indignation and with righteous anger. The timing of God's passion. Verse 5, he says, Then, when men are raging in rebellion, and once God has them in derision, at just the right moment, when his laughter stills to a quiet, with all of heaven watching in anticipation, with all of earth and all of hell uniting and foaming in rebellion, then, shall he act in passion, with power, and according to his purpose, the timing of his passion, the target of his passion. Then shall he speak unto them, and vex them who, the heathen who rage, the people who are vain in their imaginations, the kings who set themselves, the rulers who took counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ. These are the targets of God's passion. The words of God will bring down the wrath of God, and the voice of God will vex the sons of men, and they will find themselves helpless against God's burning passion. But not only the timing and the target, but the terror of his passion. We have forgotten, brethren, about the terror of the Lord. Paul said, Second Corinthians 5, Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. God will speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yes, God's countenance will burn with the passion of his ire, and he will show himself to be sorely displeased with man's rebellion and rejection of his son. It was thus this way at Calvary, but for now the mercy of God is withholding the judgment of God, but God's conduct will blaze with the passion of his ire, and in the days of God's wrath, in a coming day, God will act in judgment and bring trouble to those who brought trouble to his anointed. Yes, God's passion will go undisturbed, 
and God's purpose will not be disturbed. Verse 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. What a wonderful verse. The Lord is settled in his purpose. The verse shows us Christ's anointing. Yet have I set. Christ is the anointed one of God, sent to do the Father's will, carry out the work of the cross for the redemption of souls, and the kings of the earth who set themselves together against God will see that God has set his anointed, his king. Here is Christ's authority upon my holy hill of Zion. Here is Christ's acclaim. Christ will rule one day from the throne of his father David in the city of Jerusalem upon the holy hill of Zion. This poetical and prophetical term for Jerusalem, it is the place where God reigns and where God's worship will be celebrated. And one day Christ will be king during that millennial reign upon this earth. God's purpose will not be disturbed. So this is a view of our Lord in heaven, ruling over the raging rebellion of the sons of men. We thank you for making this ministry a part of your day. And in closing, we want to point you to the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And truly, it is written. God's word, every word, presents us with truths to live by. You've been listening to Brother Benjamin Cooley. Please send all correspondence to Truths to Live By, P.O. Box 575, Harriman, Tennessee, 37748. Or you can email us at bmarkcooley at gmail.com. And finally, brethren, pray for us.